Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. Let me hear some energy. Can I hear some excitement? Can I hear some joy that you're in the house of God? Please forgive the never-ending cold um, that I have, um, but I'm preaching today. I'm sorry. Um, It's been two weeks, and I'm ready to go. So buckle your seatbelt, grab a snack, let's go. Come on. Uh, Tuesday night just reminded me of why I love you. Because uh, we sent, did you, 270-some volunteers showed up here to go deliver Thanksgiving meals. It took our church like six years just to have that many people in it. And this Tuesday, that many people gathered to send out and feed families. And I'm just like, like this has been an incredible year in the life of our church. I mean, we have seen more this year than we've ever seen before. I mean, more in every way. I mean, this year for Thanksgiving, we, we fed more families. We had more volunteers show up. And, and you know what? The first thing I thought on Tuesday night was, how many more will we do next year? Like, how many more can we feed next year? Uh, and, and also another thing you don't know is what we have done has called on around our county. And other churches have begun to adopt our model for Thanksgiving meal. And we've been able to hand off schools to them so that we can take up new ones. That's pretty cool. And so it's, just, it's, it's awesome. I mean, and, I, and that's the first thing I thought was, Lord, how many more will we feed next year? Because I remember, like, this started as just a handful of us that could deliver every meal in, like, 10 minutes. And now more and more and more in every year. And, like, this has just been, if I could describe 2018, it has been a year of more. Like, we've seen God do more in this year than in any other year in the history of our church. And, you know, our church has grown, like, I mean, we, we, we're preparing for 2019 and just believing and seeking God for what he has next year. And you know what I think God has next year? More. I believe he has more. We've seen a 127% increase in our Sunday morning attendance this year. 127%. It's crazy. But I just keep, the, and, and you know what's cool is like that, when, th- that number may mean nothing to you, but like that, that enables us to do more. As more people come to our church, more people find Jesus, and more people buy into living and loving like Jesus, it causes us to do more ministry. And somebody asked me, like, like how, when, when will like, we hit that point? Like, I'm thinking, like, for Thanksgiving meals, when every single family that we could possibly give a meal to has a meal, then we're done. Until then, we're going to keep going. Come on. I have people ask me really weird questions right now because our church is just growing. Like, well, how big are you going to let that church get? Stupid questions. I'm thinking, well, you know what? When everybody that we could possibly reach with the gospel has been reached, we'll be done. When you can prove that to me, we'll be done. But I just think there's more. As much as we've seen, I believe there's more. I believe there's more that we can do. I believe there's more people we can reach. I believe there's more people we can feed. I believe there's more people that we can set free. There's always more. That's just who we are. And I know we live in this culture that like, why do we get in this culture where like we try to put a cap on God's kingdom? I ain't preaching two weeks now. Y'all gonna have to talk back to me. Don't act like y'all just fell asleep. Like, why do we try to put a cap on that of what God can do? 
Because of, and we look around and we maybe it's because we look at the limited resources we have or we feel like we're limited by different things that maybe other people have declared as limitations. And I just believe that like God is a God of more. Like God always has more for us. And I'm going to always believe him for more. And I'm always going to expect more of him. I think there's more we can do. As awesome as this year has been, where we've seen more people saved, more people set free, more ministry happen than ever, more resources to do ministry, I believe there's more. Because God, God gave me a line several years ago. I wrote it in my journal. And it was in a really weird season in my life and in the life of our church. But it's become a mantra for my life. And it's this. Never settle for less when you know God has more. Never settle for less when you know God has more. And here's the reality. God always has more. God always has more. As much as you think you know God, there's more of him to know. As much as you think you can, you can be blessed by him, like, like God, God is a God of more. And I don't understand why we get in this place where we settle. And almost like we feel guilty for expecting more of God. I hear something, you know, like... Listen to me. You can't demand anything of God, but you can expect everything from him. God doesn't owe you anything, but he has promised you many things. And when you get to this point where, it, and this is what we do, we fall to arms and say, well, I'm just nobody. I'm just glad he saved me. <laughs> can I tell you something? Don't settle for salvation when he's offering you significance. Like, you do realize God has more for you than salvation. Like, God wanted more than just to save you and let you sit there to you, all right, when am I going to die? Heaven's going to be great. Earth is terrible, but maybe I'll die soon and go to heaven and get to experience. No, like, he has more now. Do you remember what Jesus said? The thief comes to steal, kill, and st steal, and destroy. But I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Like, God has an abundance abundant amount of more for your life than probably you're experiencing right now. And you know what? I believe he has more for our church. I believe that he has more for our, I think there's more for us to do. I think there's more for us to accomplish. I think there's more people for us to reach. I think there's more people that need hope. I think there's, I think there's somebody still left in your family, in your neighborhood, in your office, or in your home that the gospel has yet to reach and we will not rest until it reaches them. You need to believe that. Let me show you. Because see, like, I think we can, we can really easily as a church, we get in this. When we have people ask us this all the time, like, you know, we start asking the wrong questions. And when we start asking the wrong questions, we start settling into more because we get it. We make it a lot more complicated than it, than it has to be. And we, we get to the point where we think we've hit this ceiling or this threshold of what God can do. And so we stop asking and we stop pursuing and we start be stop believing what God can do. And our faith begins to get, get bottled up, limited by what we've seen and what we've experienced. And so we end up just kind of settling in and never breaking through new thresholds and breaking through new barriers. And I believe there's always more that's possible from our God. You realize you're, this weekend, there will be over 1,300 people that worship with us in a town of just 3,400. 
Can I be honest with you? I believe there'll be one day there will be more people that attend this church than live in this town. Because I told you last year, when you, when you draw a 20-minute circle around this campus, you know how many people are inside that circle? 240,000 people. So this building was a de destination. It was a new beginning. Amen. It was the start of a new chapter for our church to continue to reach people for Jesus. And the moment we start thinking that more isn't possible, can I be honest, is the moment that we die. Let me share with you a story. Go to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, pick up with verse 14. You ready to hear the word of God? Say amen. amen. Matthew 7, 14. It says, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. And look at verse 16. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Here's a man who has someone he deeply loves, someone he deeply cares about, who has an affliction that he cannot tolerate anymore. And you know where they, he thinks to bring them? To the church, to the people of God. And he goes to Jesus, he says, hey, I tried taking him to the people that claim to know you, the people that have been hanging out with you, the people that carry your name, and guess what? They couldn't do anything. I want you to look at Jesus' response. Verse 17, you unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. I just can see, I feel like Jesus like right now, he's like, all right, what? Like he looks at his disciples and like, he brought the boy to you. And I, had already, I have equipped you, empowered you, released you to do great things. And you couldn't or wouldn't or weren't able to do it. And Jesus is just like, how long am I going to deal with y'all? Just bring the boy to me. And it says, Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. And check this out. Later on, the disciples go to Jesus in private. It says, then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why, why couldn't we drive it out? Why weren't we able to do something miraculous. Like, 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 why couldn't we break through that barrier? I think there's some churches sitting around thinking, like, like, why can't we reach more people? Why can't we do those things? Why can't we see that kind of stuff happen? Like, why is it just the same 30 of us that have been looking at each other for the last 30 years? Why couldn't, why couldn't we do it? And then he replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Then look what he says in the latter part of verse 20. Nothing will be impossible for you. That tells me right there that I can expect more. It says, what will be impossible? Nothing. So some people, you know, it's interesting. Um, it will be impossible for you to plant a church in North Carolina and it grow. There's churches on every corner. You can stay in the parking lot and spit on another one. It would be impossible for you to take this church from Greensboro, this big old city, to little old Randleman, and you ever do anything significant. Showed them, hadn't we? Amen. 
It will be impossible to go from a high school into the middle school and spend $130,000 on equipment, and then you want people to show up every Friday night for six hours and set up and stay for two hours every Sunday. It's impossible. People won't do that. Showed them again. It is impossible for you to ever have that Lowe's Foods building and use it for a church because it will never. It is, you know what? Nothing is impossible when you continue to walk in bold, obedient faith to your God. <clears throat> There's some people like you were the impossible. You'll never get them to church. It's impossible. They ne they've never been to church their whole lives. And here you sit. You'll never be freed from that addiction. It's impossible. And here you are, walking in strength and freedom. Amen. Your marriage will never survive that. It's impossible. And here you sit, thriving. See, when the church is full of people, full of faith, what it can do is limitless. It's limitless. So as much as we've seen as a church, why do I think we can see more? Because I believe God's word. I believe there is more. I believe God has an abundant amount of more for us. I think we've only begun to scratch the surface of what God can and wants to do through this community of faith. I believe you are barely even scratching the surface of what he wants to do in your life. See, I think so many people never cross the threshold of more because we settle. We get settled just for being saved. When God's saying, I want, we get so focused on what God has done for us, we forget there's something he wants to do through us. And we're never willing to cross that threshold. And the reason why is because God's more comes with a price. I know you don't like to hear that. Let me tell you something. Salvation is absolutely free. Look at me. Salvation is absolutely free. What Jesus did on the cross to buy you out of your sin, he, he paid everything necessary for you to experience salvation. And when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ, salvation is free. But I'm convinced of this. His abundance comes from sacrificial obedience. And let me put it like this. Our abundance unleashes his, our obedience unleashes his abundance. Our obedience unleashes his abundance. That for you to experience the abundance of God, it requires continually bold obedience on your part. And see, this is what we think. We think salvation and, and, and God's more kind of are the same thing. And I, and I hope you're tracking with me. I, this, this, this makes sense in my head. If it doesn't on yours, maybe but it will by the end of the day. Salvation is free, but let me tell you, let, let me prove it to you. Look through all of Scripture. And everybody that experienced the abundance of God, go back to Abraham, to Moses, to Isaac, to like all these people, those biblical superheroes that you have, that you know you saw God do abundant things in their lives. Every one of them walked in faithful, sacrificial obedience that unleashed that abundance in their lives. And the reason why we see so little abundance is because we're so afraid to be obedient. I'm preaching. Come on now. This is good. I'm telling you. Like, that's the truth. 
Like we, we, if we're going to experience God's abundance, we're going to have to walk in obedience. I've seen it all. I, I can prove it. Go look through all of Scripture of these people that experience the abundance of God. All these people that's in every single situation in scripture, scripture, obedience always preceded the miracle. Obedience always preceded the miracle. When men and women of faith step out in bold obedience, God unleashes his abundance in their lives. You know why I believe we've seen so much more at our church? is because we've walked in obedience for 10 years. Even when the sacrifice was much, we walked in obedience. That we've gone above and beyond and God has showed up. We've never had enough money. We've never had enough volunteers. We've never had enough resources. But somehow, whenever God has said go, whatever God has said do, we've done it. And you are the byproduct of that obedience. And if we are going to continue to see God's more in our church, if you're going to see God's more in your life, it will be because you have the courage to be boldly obedient in every area of your life. See, where we get stuck, and see, here's the problem, though. The more you go along with God, then the next step of obedience gets more and more scary. It ain't scary to say, Jesus, save me, in a lot of ways, to offer that free gift. But then when God starts to work in your heart, and he starts to ask you to lay certain things down and do certain things that step out of your comfort zone and go beyond your desires, then it gets difficult. And the reason why so many never experience God's more is they don't have the courage to be obedient. Give somebody some praise or God some praise while I drink some water. <clears throat> so if we're going to experience God's more, you're going to have to rise above your desire and be obedient and go beyond your comfort zone and make sacrifices. You want the more of God? I'm telling you how you unlock it. Is with your obedience. You be obedient to God in every arena of your life and you walk in bold obedience to him and I guarantee you, you'll see more show up in your life. And see, here's a, we're at a place right now as a church where it could be so easy for us to get stuck because what it's going to take for us to experience more next year, it's going to require more. It required more this year than it did last year. It required more last year than it did the year before that. Every step of bold obedience gets a little bit more difficult, a little bit more challenging, a little bit more costly. You need to know this. Disobedience is costly, but obedience is expensive. Disobedience is costly, but obedience is expensive. I know you've read this verse, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. It says, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and heed is better, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. You've heard that summed up, that obedience is better than sacrifice. But can I be honest with you? I believe that obedience always requires sacrifice. I can't think of a time in my life when obedience didn't cost me something. And see, there's the rub. Obedience, our obedience unleashes his abundance. And the reason why I believe we don't see God's abundance in our lives more and more and more is because we get to this place where we don't have the courage to be obedient. 
Because there's oftentimes we stand at the crossroads of our lives where we have the choice to make the obedient decision to God or to be disobedient. And we begin to get in our heads and we get, begin to play this little game to figure out, all right, is it worth it? And what we end up doing is, is we end up playing the scale game. And we end up kind of weighing how much to how many. And that's kind of how we begin making decisions about whether or not we'll walk in obedience. All right, how much are you asking of me, God? Because how much you're asking of me is going to determine how many I expect in return. Come on, you following me? Say amen. And so we live in this economy of how much versus how many. And before we're willing to give our much, we want to know his how many. And so we walk through life. And we accept Jesus and we follow him and then we begin to dive into his word and we begin to uncover all the things he wants for our lives. And we start learning what it means to live in obedience. Oh, to, to be obedient to God? Oh, you want me to read my Bible every day? That requires time and energy and effort and sacrifice. You want me to be nice to everybody? Oh, Lord. You actually like think I need to go to church because I need to be around other people and I need to make time for you and I need to worship and I need to hear the word and I need community. You want me to tithe? You actually want me to have spiritual conversations with my spouse? And like all of a sudden we hear God's voice and we start his word. And next thing you know, like we're, it's just like what God wants from us and living in obedience to him, it's a lot. Come on, testify somebody. Don't act like I'm only one up here by myself. And this is what we're doing. We're like, okay, God, like if this is how much you're going to demand of me, I need to know like how many blessings. And you hear a preacher talk about, oh, you be obedient and God's abundance is going to come. But you need to know God's abundance comes in many forms. And in, in, in his time. And so we do all this stuff. And this is the economy we live in. We want immediately to God to respond with all the blessing and balance these out. Come on. Like immediately, the moment we've acted in obedience, the moment we've done what we thought he wanted us to do, we immediately want him to respond by pouring out the many. And then, all right, God, it's been two weeks. God, it's been a month. And can I just go ahead and tell you, like, I don't, I don't know how long it will take God to respond to your much with his many, but I believe his word says he will. Right. But here's what happens. Here's what happens. A week or two goes by, and, and there's, some, there's some things that he's done. Like, I gave money. I wanted a new car, but all you gave me was a kid that actually has, like, he has some sense. But I wanted, I wanted a car. <laughs> and God's like, don't you just see what I've done? So this is what we begin to do. Like, okay, God, well, if that's all you're going to do, then um, that whole tithing thing, yeah, that's, a, that's an easy one to take back out. <laughs> Going to church, I Music's too loud. The bass make I feel it in my chest. The preacher too. I don't, I'll take that out too. 
Reading my Bible, yeah, I don't even, I don't even understand half what I read. <laughs> and what we end up doing is we start taking things back until like, we feel like maybe somehow we've evened the game. And that's how we live. And we play this game of many versus much. And then it gets to the point where we don't even put anything in. Like, okay, God, when you do your part and you do all these things I want you to do and you make all my dreams come true and you give me everything I've ever asked for and you do all that stuff that you said and then you show up and you do all the, then, then maybe, like, okay. And we play this little game with God. And we do it in every arena of our lives. We even do it in the church. It took a lot of money to get in this building. It did. And I've had people ask me, was it worth it? Like, if you, if you go into, like, what it took to get in this building, I ain't got enough rocks. And so people ask me, all right, all that it took to get in this building, was it worth it? How do I measure that? Like, like how many people needed to get to know Jesus to make how much money we spent in this building worth it? Because that's essentially what we're saying, isn't it? How much all them lights cost? They look expensive. Because, <laughs> see, that's the, that's the way we approach the way. But you've got to understand that God doesn't measure in many. He measures in one more. And his whole economy doesn't work the way ours does. And when we start playing this game and our obedience is determined by it, no wonder we never experience his abundance. Because we, we, we don't have the patience to wait for the scales to balance out. But what I want you well, see, when, when you're walking in obedience to God, there's going to be times when for you to be obedient, it ain't going to make sense. And what he asks you to do versus what he maybe immediately does for you may seem a little bit unfair and extravagant and even somewhat reckless. And even we justify it. We, we get in this mode, we're like, we want to, we, it's good stewardship. We give, we want to balance out. I can't give a homeless man $5. He may buy drugs. And maybe you just need to be obedient to God and shut up. <laughs> God's economy doesn't work like this. Let me, let's go into scripture. Look at Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at, a ta at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of the, those present were saying indignant to, to one another, why this waste of perfume? See, for them, the much didn't add up to the many. They said, what a waste. How could she, she, she give so much for just a silly moment? 
Look at verse 5. They even try to, try to make it act like their, their motives are, are, are pure and, 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 and good. So they could have been given to sold. This could have been sold for more than a year's wage and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Then what Jesus said in verse 6. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. And look at the first part of verse 8. She did what she could. She did what she could. She poured her perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus. Like this pushed Judas over the edge because he showed where his heart was. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. See, on the outside looking in, how much she gave just didn't seem to match the many. And you know what? Like we read this passage and think that she just woke up one day and thought, oh, there's Jesus, let me get this jar of, of pure nard. Like I don't think that was it at all. Can you imagine whenever, whenever it was stirred upon her heart to do this for Jesus? And this would have been probably a jar that could have very well been passed down from generation to generation. Like this was something that she could not have afforded to, to buy. And one day God leads in her spirit. Hey, I want, to take, I want you to take that jar of pure nard that I know is worth a year's wage, and this is what I want you to do with it. And I wonder if she told her family, um, this is what I'm going to do with my jar of pure nard. I'm like, no, uh that was grandma's nard. And the only reason why I can think that she would do this is one word. Obedience. Because when God moves on your heart and you know it's from him, There's never too much. When you know it's from God and it's alignment with his word and it's what he wants you to do and it's going to build his kingdom and it means that somebody else is going to be set free and somebody else is going to find hope and somebody else is going to get to know Jesus and another marriage is going to be healed and another attic is going to be set free. It's worth it. But we play this game. And to some, it's going to look extravagant. It's going to look reckless. But I think you could very, say that very same thing about Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 15? Pick up with, uh, we're going to pick up with verse 3. It says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So people ask me, was all that it's taken to make this building happen this year and all the money and all the energy, was it worth it? Yeah, it was worth it for one. For one. If y'all didn't think I was crazy, you're gonna be crazy, think I'm crazy after I say this. Because I always play this out in my mind. Like, was there a moment in heaven where, where and, 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 and 
Trinity's a weird thing to kind of wrap our minds around, okay? Um, but I think there's this moment where, like, God the Father and Jesus have this conversation. Like, uh, uh, son, you're going to earth. Why? To die. Okay? And, like, like you're not going to enter the world. You're, you're not going to be born in the palace of a king. You're going to be born in a barn next to a bunch of animals. And there won't be a lot of fanfare and a lot of parades or anything like that. There'll be a couple of these, these wise fellows that come and bring you some really insignificant gifts. And then, like, right after you're born, there's going to be a king that wants to kill you. So you're going to spend the first three years of your life on the run in, in this foreign land just trying to stay alive. And then for the next 30 years, I'm just going to hide you away. And nobody's even going to know who you are. You're just going to be building tables and stuff because your dad's going to be a carpenter on earth. And then after 30 years, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release you into doing some ministry, and you're going to do ministry, and, and most people are going to think you're crazy. And everything you say is blasphemy. And then you're going to make some friends that you pour your heart into, and, and just before you die, they're all going to turn their backs on you. And then after that, like you're going to go through several trials in one night, and then they're going to beat you within an inch of your life before they take you, put you on a cross, and then that's how you're going to die. Like I'm Jesus, and I'm like, all right, if I'm going through all that, how many people are going to believe in me? And I think based on the way I see Jesus' economy, Jesus says, that's great, God, as long as there's one. I'll do all that for one. I'll do all that for one. That's the kind of obedience that Jesus has. There is more. And you know what God wants you to do is walk in obedience constantly with him so that he can unleash his abundance in your life. And all that means is that you will do everything you could. I can't get away from that passage where it says she did what she could. Someday I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to have to give an account for my leadership in this church and all that he's given me. And I hope God can just look at me and say, Matt, you did what you could. With the time you had, you did, you did what you could. Because somewhere along the way, I stopped thinking about God for me. God, do this for me, for me, for me. Salvation for me, for me, for me. And I started asking the question, what, what could God do through me? Our obedience unleashes his abundance. There is more. Church, there's more for us to do. And the reason why we keep doing more as a church is because there's more and more people that keep answering the call to be more than just consumers and be contributors to the mission of this church. And every time somebody makes that decision, we do more. I think there's more. And I'm convinced the only way for us to continue to see that more is to stop playing the game and just ask the question, God, what do you want to do through me? Not do I have enough money, not how long will it take for it all to even out, but simply, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? You want me to give my time? Fine. You want to give my money? You want me to give everything? Like, God, you, you gave it all for me. I'm going to give it all for you. So today, there's some people in the room that need to do something. You need to take a step of obedience right now. Bow your heads, close your eyes with me if you would. What's God calling you to do? His abundance is waiting. 
but it's all predicated on your willingness to be obedient. Where is he asking you to be obedient? Can I give you, some, can I give you a couple areas to pray about being obedient here at our church? Maybe your act of obedience is to finally stop just being satisfied with sitting in this room and just being a part and actually take part in something. Sign up for Vintage 101 for Wednesday night. Come hear more about what that means to partner with our church. Maybe it's to finally go public with your faith in baptism. Maybe you've been sitting here and you know that God has your heart, but you've never made that public statement. You need to pull up the app. You need to sign up to be baptized the weekend before Christmas. We believe that in 2019, we're going to do more as a church. But I'll just go ahead and be fully honest with you. For us to do more next year, it's going to be more expensive to operate as a church than it's ever been. And so I'm going to ask you, if you would, between now and December the 16th, pray about would God have you be obedient to him and giving just a financial investment in our church, a one-time gift above and beyond your normal giving, just to invest in the ministry of our church for the future. There's a reason why we're not taking that offering today because we don't want you to respond in emotion or guilt, but we want you to spend two weeks asking God what he would have you to do to financially invest in the ministry of our church to move into 2019 and take more territory for him. And now again, I hope you hear our heart. Our heart is that you respond in obedience to that. And if obedience is zero, then that's fine. Or maybe there's something personally in your life where you need to be obedient. You need to be obedient enough to have a conversation or to invite some accountability into your life or some other area, that obedience is waiting on the other side of your, that abundance is waiting on the other side of your obedience. So whatever, and it may seem extravagant and it may seem reckless and it may seem crazy, but that could be from God. Father, I pray that right now you'd speak to hearts. You'd challenge us, Lord to respond to whatever it is you're calling us to do, that we would hear your voice, that we'd lean in and lay it up against your word and see what you're calling us to do. Because God, we believe that your more is out there, that you are able to do more than we can ask or imagine. And God, help us to not settle for less when we know you have more. Help us to have the courage to be boldly obedient. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, Download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.